Thanks, band. Good morning again, and welcome to Hiawatha Church. Uh, like Leah said earlier, and I think Peter said, although I wasn't listening, she said it. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we, as a church, usually preach through books of the Bible, and um, we usually, as, a, as an elder team, as an overseer team, we pray about what God would have for us as a church, and uh, we are actually starting a new series that is not going through a book of the Bible. And so we're going to spend six weeks on a new sermon series called Sex, Gender, Marriage, and the Gospel. And so for, for months we've been praying about what God would have for us as, as a whole church, and we just felt over uh, confirmed again and again that this is something God has for us. Not just it's important because it's in his word, but we think that uh, God's especially calling us as Hiawatha Church to learn and uh, to learn together. And so uh, over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about these themes, about sex, gender, marriage, and how the gospel speaks to uh, each one of those. And so uh, this week, we're going to talk about creation and gender, God designing two genders intentionally. Uh, next week, we'll talk about marriage, uh, then singleness, week four, sexual sin. Week five, uh, we'll preach on homosexuality. And then our last sermon of this series will be on gender and church leadership. So all these will be uh, separate sermons as they're topical, but we'll, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of be building off of each other. So what we hear this morning uh, will kind of set the stage for this, this whole sermon series. And if I say something really horrible, we'll have five other uh, sermons to kind of correct ship. But um, hopefully that, that, that won't be the case. But uh, as with any topical series, kind of like we did this summer with our big question series, just know that every sermon, uh, we can't speak on everything. So it won't be uh, entirely comprehensive, but we hope that through a, a six-week series, we will be quite comprehensive. We'll answer many of the questions that you have, that we have, and uh, be unified throughout this uh, all as a church. So this morning, we're going to be looking at creation and gender. We're going to look at the very beginning of the Bible, see God create uh, humanity, and specifically create two genders. And so a lot of us, I was talking to a, a number of Hiawatha people between services, just sharing that they, they appreciated the sermon and then and just also sharing their experience of how lots of these passages we're going to look at today, as well as just uh, uh, gender and, and power and male-female interactions and lots of stuff like this, uh, just come with a lot of baggage. A lot of people have had really bad experiences, whether the Bible's been used as a weapon against them, whether it's been uh, just bad examples of maleness and femaleness in our lives, or whether it's just the culture we live in that just create uh, this, this topic to be challenging and tough and divisive. So right off the bat, let's just acknowledge we all uh, come into this with, with baggage and uh, with pasts, and a lot of these words and ideas and even passages we're going to look at today um, have been hard. So with that, I just want to encourage us as a church to uh, trust God's word. Uh, like Leah prayed earlier today, let us sit under God's word that he's speaking to us, to all Christians everywhere, as well as to us specifically as a church, and try to define terms based on what the Bible says. Try to understand creation and gender and maleness and femaleness based on what's, what, what's clear in the Bible, even if that's uh, going against most or even all of our experiences uh, individually. But we're excited about this sermon series. We're excited about... Uh, learning together as a church. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at creation and gender. We're going to look at the very beginning of the Bible and we're going to see how 
uh, God's creative work of humanity, which includes gender, is not just random or meaningless, but rather God creating two genders, God creating maleness and femaleness, is intentional. It's deliberate, and it's meant for something that's uh, meant for something even bigger than ourselves. So some might, some out there may say that male and female, men and women, are incredibly different, right? Maybe uh, you remember the book a long time ago. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Or maybe you just uh, grew, heard about people like this or grew up in a culture like this where people uh, taught or viewed male and female as incredibly different. So if uh, we have the male sign and the female sign right there, so they're completely separate, no overlap at all. There's no, dis- or there's, uh, no similarities, no sameness between the genders. And this opinion or this view uh, is common in more traditional and maybe more patriarchal cultures or countries. The opposite of that, at the end of the spectrum, would be that they, uh, male and female are completely the same. So you see the, the, the two symbols completely overlapping, where there is uh, no distinction between male and female, or um, everything is similar. They're essentially the same thing, completely interchangeable. Uh, some might even say, even beyond just biological distinctions, or that there, there aren't even biological distinctions, so it's... Again, a, kind of a, a spectrum here. So they would argue there's no difference between male and female. Many in our city hold this view. Uh, very, very popular uh, here in the Twin Cities, or especially in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So to lay our cards out as, as we uh, begin to go through some passages today, we think that male and female are incredibly similar. There's lots of sameness, yet there's also intentional created distinction. And so if this is kind of like a Venn diagram, we see overlap, not completely separate nor completely interchangeable, but similar yet distinct. And if this was even more accurate, I couldn't find a better uh, version online, but uh, these circles would actually be uh, even more probably um, on top of each other, more similarity than difference. But anyway, to lay our cards out, this is where we come from because we think this is what the Bible teaches. And we're, we're excited about this, not because it's popular culturally, but because we think God designed it this way. He wants us to know about this and because it's for our joy, our health, and our benefit. We believe that God created both sameness and diversity intentionally within the genders in order to show his character, in order to show his love for us and to give us even a picture of the gospel. So maleness and femaleness are good. One of, the, uh, one of the ironies of our culture is that we highly, highly value diversity, whether it's in our schools or our, our workplaces or just um, neighborhoods, wherever it might be. We highly, diverse, highly value diversity in our culture, yet when it comes to gender, we hate diversity. We, we, we think that there shouldn't be diversity. We think that going back to what our city highly values is uh, no distinction and rather interchangeability. So whether it's uh, T-shirts we see at a farmer's market, whether it's a new TV show on Amazon Prime, or in an article in the city pages, all true stories, we're told again and again and again that gender is over, that male and female are completely interchangeable. So that's what our culture in our city says. But what we're going to see as we open up God's word to us today is that gender isn't random, it isn't meaningless, but rather 
It is intentional, deliberate, and meant for something even bigger than ourselves. So this morning, as we begin to unpack and understand gender, we're going to start at the very beginning of the Bible, which is a very good place to start, or so says uh, Ferland Maria from The Sound of Music. So let's start at the very beginning of the Bible. So we're going to jump in right at the beginning, chapter 2. So right before this, God has created the universe and everything in it. Day 6, he creates uh, a man, a single man. He creates uh, this guy named Adam. So as we look at our passage today, what's important for us to remember before we, we start reading is that this is the way God is creating before the fall. So before sin and evil and death enter into our world and corrupt everything, not just uh, the earth, but also our hearts, also our genders, the way we view the world, what we're going to see today, the majority of it happens before the fall. So sin hasn't corrupted yet. It's part of God's perfect plan and design. So we pick up the story at the very beginning. God has just created a single human, a man named Adam, and everything is perfect. And if you read the creation account up to this time so far, and if you were around for our, we actually preached through the book of Genesis uh, a while back. If you're here for that, you remember this theme, these same words we heard over and over over again. And God saw that it was good. So God creates something, and then he declares it good. He creates something and declares it good. Over and over and over again, we see that pattern. But now for the first time, we see a break in this pattern. Genesis 2, verse 18 picks up. It says, uh, oh, there we go. Uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And remember where we are in the story. Sin hasn't entered the world yet. So if there's no sin, no evil, no corruption, no death yet, then how can something not be good? There's a problem in paradise. The description of Adam being alone isn't saying that it's evil, isn't saying that it's sinful, but rather is saying that creation is incomplete. It's missing something. Only one singular male is unfinished. It makes creation not good. There's something lacking. It's called paradise, yet it is incomplete. Earlier on in Genesis, we're told uh, that God said, let us make man, let us make humanity in our image, after our likeness. And we're told that we were the only part of creation that uniquely gets to reflect our God in this way. We're made to be little mirrors that reflect to each other and the rest of creation who God is. So why was it not good then that man was alone? Why is paradise incomplete with just a single man? Because our God at his very essence and nature is community. He is three persons, yet one God. So man cannot fully do what he was created to do, resemble, reflect, image, mirror God when he is by himself. He doesn't have an equal. He doesn't have a community. He has creation below him. He has God above him. Yet he does not have an equal beside him to subdue the earth and exercise dominion over creation as humanity was called to do. So the story has this big problem in paradise. Even before sin has corrupted it and poisoned the world, there's still a problem. 
Adam is alone. He can't image God, and he's full of loneliness. He doesn't have someone like him, which reminds us that we are designed and created for relationship, which is crazy to think. Even before sin has entered the world, there's something wrong. And even with a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with the rest of creation, there's still something that's not good. So it reminds us we're designed for relationship. We're designed for friendship and community. Also, the big part of the problem here, like we said, is that Adam by himself cannot fully image God as a single male. Wendy Alsop writes in her book, Is the Bible Good for Women? She writes on this, she says, even in perfection, even in the Garden of Eden or, or the world that is perfect, man made in the image of God needed others to accomplish the word God gave him. He couldn't serve and protect creation all by himself, and he needed another not exactly like him. He needed a woman. So God comes into this story right after this, and he says that he will solve the problem. He will finish creation. He will make it complete. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And then he says he's going to solve the problem. I will make a helper fit for him. So God will create someone or something that will now help uh, cure his loneliness, cure his aloneness, uh, empower him to be able, with this other helper, to be able to fully image and, and, and demonstrate and show off who our God is. Verse 19 of uh, chapter 2 continues, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So God brings all the animals in front of him, all God's created majesty in front of him, yet a helper was not found for Adam. No one who can help Adam image God fully. No one that can help create a community of equals. No one to help him subdue the earth and exercise dominion over creation as humanity was called to do. No one to compliment him, to come aside him as an equal and to help him where he lacks. So God brings a giraffe in front of Adam and he says, fun to ride, but no, not a helper. God brings a bull in front of Adam and he says, yeah, you can help me subdue creation by gardening and plowing, but you're not my equal. God brings a parrot in front of him, and Adam sees great beauty, yet the parrot's too different from him. God brings a gorilla in front of Adam, and he says, well, you're kind of like a companion, yet I can't truly communicate and be in community with you. So animal after animal and after animal comes before Adam, yet we read, there was not found a helper fit for him. And I'm sure at this time Adam is thinking, where is my equal? Where is my companion? Where is the one that's going to bring help? Where is my true friend? How will my aloneness be fixed? This Hebrew word that is, is translated into the word helper here just means, simply means, one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. So man alone, Adam by himself, was lacking. He needed strength. 
He needed help. He was incomplete when all by himself. He needed someone. So I want to stop right there because this is one of those words that I talked about earlier that maybe comes with a lot of baggage or maybe you've heard this uh, taught on in an unhealthy, unhelpful type way. But this word here, translated helper, doesn't imply at all that the helper has less value or dignity or importance or even weaker than the one whom they are helping. But again, it just means one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the one who receives the help. Adam needed, needed someone to compliment him, to supply strength where he was weak. God in the Old Testament uses the same word. He calls himself uh, his people's helper. As Israel goes to battle against enemies, God calls himself a helper, someone who's going to help his people and is going to defeat God's people's enemies for them. And in the New Testament, Jesus also calls the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. He calls him the helper. Four times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, capital H, helper. He says, this is one of the names of God. This is one of the names of the Holy Spirit, helper. Jesus says in John 14, 26, uh, but when the helper comes, whom I, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So just like the, the Holy Spirit is fully God and is equal worth and equal value to Jesus and God the Father, Eve also has equal value and worth with Adam. So God says that he'll come in and fix this problem of aloneness, that he'll make a helper for Adam. And while we, we know that there's obvious distinction and difference between Adam and Eve, between male and female, the story starts off by focusing on the sameness of the genders. So let's start by looking the way that God describes man and woman in, in, a, in a similar type matter. We saw God call man by himself not good. So he brings all the animals in front of Adam. He doesn't find a helper. So God must do a new thing. A single gender alone is imperfect. It's not complete. It's not good. So verse 21 continues. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So God solves this problem. Man has his helper. He has his friend, his companion, his equal. Commentators on this passage pick up and, and note the importance of how God creates uh, Eve. He creates her from his rib, from his side, reminding us that that's, that's where she belongs. Her place next to him, beside him, as co-image bearer, and co-subduer of creation. Genesis 2 continues, And God brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So after having seen animal after animal after animal, Adam finally sees someone who is created for him. He sees someone that is like him, yet distinct, someone who fits with him, who compliments him where he is weak, where he is lacking, 
someone who is an inferior to him, like the animals and the rest of creation that he has been called to rule over, but rather someone who is created with the same value and made of the same materials as him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Jen Wilkin wisely reminds us that in the creation of man and woman, we begin by seeing similarities. She writes, if you want to know from scriptures the, the first word about men and women, it is that we are the same. We were designed for more than just a relationship with our creator and with creation, but also with other humans. So the problem of man being alone is remedied. Human relationship, community, friendship is created, and now humanity can truly begin to image God. What was called not good is now made good. Paradise is finally made complete. Here we see the importance, the the necessity of community, of human relationships, of friendships. And that's at the core of what it means to be human and to be an image bearer of God. And the more and the more, uh, sadly we don't have more time to, to spend on this, but the more and more we understand this and remember this and study this, it helps things like celibacy and singleness and sexual purity to actually become not just possible, but also plausible. We'll talk a lot more about this as the series continues. Also, probably as many of you are, are noticing or are picked up on as we've you know, spent a few minutes in this passage already, that this is also talking about human marriage. Adam and Eve coming together, God walking Eve down the aisle, presenting her to Adam, just like a father walks his daughter down the aisle. But because this sermon is just on gender, because Jesse Splann, one of our overseers, is going to preach on marriage next week, I'm not going to steal any of his material. So obviously marriage is going on in this passage. Marriage is a great thing, a gift from God as a singleness, but we're going to save that for a later time. So even though we see lots and lots of similarity between male and female, even though the first words given to us are sameness when we see male and female created, there is still an intentional and important distinction between man and woman. They're still distinct. They're still different. And God's divine wisdom and his intentional plan as he's creating two genders we see that we need both in order to, again, fully image him and to create community and friendship and to end this problem of aloneness. And as we begin to talk about the differences now between male and female, one quick disclaimer that we want to make clear is that uh, in very unique circumstances, because of the fall, because of sin and brokenness and evil uh, being in our world, because of humanity's rebellion against God, everything is broken. Relationships are broken, creation is broken, and even uh, our bodies and our genders are broken. And so there are, even though the vast majority of people are born biologically male or female, there is a small percentage that is born something called intersex, which, which means that they're born with reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of male or female. But this is still... Uh, very rare. Again, Wendy Alsop writing on this, writing about uh, the research of decades of research put together by the Intersex Society of North America. 
She writes, One thing is clear from all this research. The basic biological differences between XX and XY chromosomes play out both physically and mentally at some level in differences between the genders for 99% of humanity. So there are some unique exceptions. That, that is just the reality of the world we live in, yet they're very rare and are less than 1%. So as we move on, we're going to talk about two distinct genders created at birth, yet, um, or distinct at birth, yet, but there are some very rare exceptions. We want to be careful to say that. But back to God's plan. His design to make two distinct genders is intentional. Notice what didn't happen in the story of creation. God didn't make Adam and then realize he screwed up and then created woman. Two genders was intentional. Unlike the joke you may have heard, God didn't create Adam and think, eh, I can do better, and then created woman. Man and woman, two distinct genders, wasn't an accident, nor was it a do-over, but rather was God's good and intentional plan. He wanted similarity and distinction. He wanted sameness and difference. It was his beautiful and good plan. So in the creation of mankind, we see both equality and worth. They're both fully human. They have the same worth and dignity as image bearers of God. And we see distinction. We see complementarity, which just means they, they complement each other. They, they help each other out where the other is weak. Or together, they create uh, fullness. And not only do we see uh, some differences between Adam and Eve, but it can make sense when we remember what we were created to do. We've been talking about this all morning. If we are created in order to image our God, it would make sense that we resemble a God who is both very same with some diversity. That's our God, right? He is a trinity. He is one. He is same. And there's multiple persons in our God. One God, three persons. So we kind of just look at this common uh, little graphic that we often use to help understand the Trinity, which is very hard to understand. This graphic is helpful. So there is one God. God the Father is God. God the Son is fully God. And God the Holy Spirit is fully God. So three persons, yet one God. And they're also distinct from each other. God the Father is not the same as God the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the same as the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the same as the Father. So if that's the reality of our God, sameness, oneness, while at the same time some distinction and some difference, and if humanity was created to resemble that, to image that, to look like that, it helps us understand humanity. It helps us understand how we can have difference and sameness at the same time, and both being good as we reflect and image our God. Difference in res uh, role, difference in responsibility does not e equal inequality with our God. So you just think about the story of the Bible. God the Father sends Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus Christ sends the Holy Spirit into the world. God the Father doesn't die on the cross. The Holy Spirit doesn't die on the cross. Jesus does. And then when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to uh, fill his, his church and to empower his church 
permission, and he returns to be with the Father and rule in his throne in heaven. They're doing unique things, different things. Yet at the same time, we wouldn't say the Holy Spirit is, is less God, is less divine, is less important just because he is sent by Jesus or because he's doing something different than God the Father does. So likewise, we can understand humanity. Our God and who he is, his nature, his personhood, his essence, gives us a framework for seeing distinction and sameness in humanity. Equality of worth and difference in role at times. So back to our story. Remember, God created humanity. Or God created one, one man, and it was not good. So he creates two genders, and, this is what, and, and all this happens before the fall. This is part of God's plan. Two genders was not a corruption of the fall, but rather was God's plan. If we go to Genesis 1, so we've been in Genesis 2, if we back up to Genesis 1, the chapter before it, it retells what we just looked at in kind of a poetic or song-like way. It summarizes God's creation. And so if we look at Genesis 1, it gives us even more understanding of what's going on with gender and creation. So back in Genesis 1, the summary of what we saw in Genesis 2 goes like this. Starting in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make humanity in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God, saw, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the creation of man and woman was good. It fixed the problem of man being alone, being not good. And in fact, it wasn't just good, it was very good. Another break in the pattern. The first time creation is not just good, but is very good, is when God creates both man and woman. Also, we see in this passage too, we see how both of them are created in the image of God. Male and female, both are, are fully made in God's image, thus giving them equal and full and incredible value and worth. But how are they different, you might be asking. So, more than just being called male and female, or more than just being called Man and woman or Adam and Eve, what makes them so different, so distinct? Again, back to, we, we, we just know that lots of us have lots of baggage with this or have just heard stuff that's really unhelpful. So I could tell you stories or anecdotes of how my children, my son and my daughter are incredibly different or how my wife and I are incredibly different. Or I could just talk about gender stereotypes or the norms that we might often see portrayed in media Yet, stereotypes and, and anecdotes often can just be really unhelpful and, and even harmful. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what, what's true about man and woman, maleness and femaleness, across times, across genders, across cultures. We'll focus on what's more obvious as well as what the Bible teaches. So the clearest distinction we see between male and female is biological. 
Like Jen Wilkins says wisely, she says, if you can root it, so the difference between uh, the genders, if you can root it in biology, it's going to get a lot less stupid. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at what are the biological differences between man and woman, between male and female, ones that, that transcend culture, that transcend time, that transcend location and, and uh, different uh, ways that people view it. What does everyone see? What is both biological as well as supported by the Bible? One of the main ways that we see this in general is that men are physically stronger than women. On the whole, and there are many exceptions to this, obviously, but on the whole, men have more muscle mass than women do. So it's why we have things like different sports leagues for, for men and women. That's why uh, we have different Olympic records for you know, weightlifting for females and weightlifting for males. The Bible also speaks about this in uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them, to your wives, to the women, as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of grace and life. And what's great about this passage, even though it acknowledges, in general, there's this distinction between physical strength, between husbands and wives, or, or males and females, but at the same time, it reminds us of the equality and worth and dignity that women have. They are co-heirs along with men to the grace that God gives. They are co-heirs to the salvation that he offers. And at the same time, it also acknowledges that there are biological differences between men and women, namely physical strength. Again, this might be a passage that you maybe have heard uh, incorrectly taught or maybe even used as a weapon. To be clear here, we don't think that this is talking about women are uh, weaker intellectually or weaker emotionally or weaker, weaker relationally. We don't think the rest of the Bible that teaches that, nor is uh, that just the reality. But rather we think here it's only specifically talking about physical strength. And again, back to Jen Wilkins' comment, uh, men in general being physically stronger than women is, is something that transcends cultures, transcends times, is, is true across the vast majority of history and places. So then you might ask the question, and, and, and many of us do, why? Why did God choose to design most men as physically stronger than most women? And it would be really great if right after Genesis 2, there's another verse, and God says, the reason that I made Adam a little stronger and have a little more muscle mass is because, but we don't. So we don't fully know all the reasons behind why God chose to do this, but what we do know is like we've been saying all morning, that in difference, in distinction, God allows humanity to image him better in that way. He wanted us to be different so that we can image God and can image God together, male and female. Not only that, but our genders and our relationships can also image the gospel. So, so through the difference, that, uh, uh, the difference of physical strength between two genders, we can demonstrate the gospel, the, the good news that Jesus Christ used his strength, used his power to serve, to protect, to provide for and love the weaker party, which is us, ultimately through his death and resurrection. Our lives and our genders 
tell a story. And we're going to continue to hear that phrase, that theme, throughout this whole sermon series. Our lives are not just random. Our genders are not just random. Our lives and our genders are not just for us and for our own uh, gratification and our own self-fulfillment, but they're beyond us. They're given to us in order to tell a greater story to the world and to ourselves. Obviously, this, this distinction between a stronger party and a weaker party, uh, this type of relationship is all over the place, not just with genders, whether it's uh, uh, government and citizens, a boss and employee, coach and players, parent and child, teacher and athlete. There are many ways that uh, relationships with, with a stronger party and a weaker party can demonstrate the gospel. But because we're speaking about gender, let's just look at a two examples of how this can look. So the first one, the first way of how uh, a gender that is stronger and a gender that is physically weaker, how it can embody the gospel or, or show us the gospel in picture would be when a physically stronger husband uses that strength like Christ. When he uses his physical strength to sacrificially work hard at providing for, caring, protecting, and supporting his wife. We see a picture of the gospel. A strong God who uses his strength, who uses his power for those same things. To protect, to provide for, to serve, to love. Sacrificially, even giving his own body, giving his own strength in order to provide life for us, the church. Or maybe another example would be when you see a, a physically stronger brother step in between a bully and his sister. We see a picture of the gospel playing out. Maybe a, a kind of cheesy picture here, but one that I found and was actually moved by. Uh, just to describe, it's a little hard to see, but you see three older brothers with signs that say, we'll protect her, and a, a little baby sister right there. And I remember seeing this picture as I was kind of trying to get a picture for this idea here and thinking, oh, that's kind of cheesy, but it really moves me. It, it, it's, it's powerful to me. And maybe it's because I have a son and a daughter. Maybe it's because I like kids. But I think beyond that, this is a picture of the gospel. A stronger party saying, I'm going to step in between a bully and my little sister. I'm going to take a bullet for her. I'm going to, to use my strength to protect and love someone who is not as strong as me. And in both of, these, both of these examples, they look a lot like Jesus, right? Romans 5, uh, 6 describes this perfectly. Speaking of us, apart from Christ, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The gospel doesn't say, When you were strong, when you were equal in power to God, when you were really great, that's when Christ died for us. It says, When we were weak. A strong God died in our place, used his power to save us, to protect us, to love us. So when we see this play out in, in, in gender and relationships, we can see a picture of the gospel. We can be reminded of the way that Jesus loves us. All right, to summarize where we've been, we've seen how God intentionally designed two genders, how it's a good thing, not just for us to know but it's a good thing for us to flourish. It's a good thing for the health of relationships and families and churches and the world. Notice, too, how we haven't even talked about procreation or having babies or, or really much at all about marriage, all of those things requiring two genders. So there's 
a lot more even to say, but we're, again, focusing just on gender because we'll get to that other stuff in other sermons. Jesse's preaching on it. Chris is preaching on these topics later, so we'll leave that for uh, them to unpack. But we do, what we did see today is we see God creating two genders, not on accident, not as a redo, but as a good thing. So as we leave here today, four things I want us to think about. Four things that I want us to thank God about. Four things that will help inform how we view ourselves, how we view our church, how we view the world. And four things that will help set the stage for us as we go through this sermon series in the next six weeks. First one is, we needed two genders. God chose to make two genders. Man alone was not good. Male alone was a problem. It was imperfect. So two genders, it's God's design, and it is a good thing. So four things I want us to think about as we unpack this. First, remember again, we cannot fully image our God. God is different than us. Diversity is a good thing, not just because our culture, our workplace, our neighborhood, or our school says diversity is a good thing. It is, but it's a good thing because it reminds us we are not God. We need something different than us. We need others as well. We need relationships with our God as well as with those who are same and like us. We were created and designed for something on top of a, a perfect relationship with our God and with creation. We're designed for community. Second, we didn't talk much about this today, but you probably saw it as we, as we read through uh, Genesis 1 and 2. We, as one gender, so I guess you could say, individually you could say I, but we cannot fill the earth and multiply without two genders. So one of the commands that God gave humanity was, this is your job, this is how you're going to rule, this is how you're going to image in my place, you're going to fill the earth and multiply. And obviously, that cannot happen without two genders, without procreation, without making babies. We intentionally didn't spend a lot of time in that today, both because it hits on other uh, sermons later on in this series, but it also, the reason I do bring it up, though, is because it leads to something new when Jesus shows up. Throughout the Old Testament, having babies, filling the earth, it, God's people growing, people passing on their, their family name, all those things were really important. But when Jesus shows up, when he teaches and lives a perfect life, when he dies in our place on the cross, when he's raised from the grave, returns to the Father, sends his spirit into the church on mission, we don't see physical birth being a focus anymore. But what takes, it, what takes its place? What fulfills that? What's even better than that? What can everyone be a part of, even if you're not married, even if you can't have kids? And that is making disciples. So we have this big move from, in the Old Testament, having biological children, having physical birth is really important, but in the New Testament, we have this focus not on physical birth, but on rebirth, about spiritual birth, about being born again. No longer are we, as Christians, called to have as many children as possible, but now in the gospel, we're called to make disciples, to have spiritual babies, to be able to create more and more disciples by spreading the gospel. This is the way that we fill the earth and multiply. So now as the church, 
The reason we need two genders is because we cannot fill the earth and multiply as the church through this great commission without both genders. So just like two genders are needed, a male and a female, in order to, in Genesis 1 and 2, be able to fill the earth with biological children, just like that, two genders are needed for the church to reach its mission of making disciples, of spreading the gospel through the world. We cannot have a church with just men. We cannot have a church with just women. We need both. Wendy Alsop kind of summarizing this, this beautiful uh, transition from filling the earth through biological children and a focus on physical birth to now spiritual birth and, and making disciples. She writes, uh, God dignified the human race anew with the Great Commission by saying, in essence, subdue the earth and fill it. But now the focus of such things is the good news of God's coming kingdom through Christ. So now whether you're married or single, whether you're young or old, whether you have children or don't have children, you can be a part, and you're called to as a Christian, to be a part of this great commission of making disciples of all nations, not through birth, but through rebirth, being born again by trusting in Jesus Christ. And then finally, the fourth way and fourth reason why two genders is a good thing, not just something we kind of put up with or that we're embarrassed about, but why it's a good thing is that two genders tells a unique story, the story of the gospel. The first thing it tells is it reminds us that we're similar to God, made in his image, yet we're also distinct and different, just like our God is in his nature, just like the Trinity is. Another story, another way that two genders tells a beautiful story is that it reminds us that we are designed for relationship. Being alone was not good. It was incomplete. We need human relationship on top of our relationship with God and with creation. The third way that two genders tells a great story is that it reminds us that we are incomplete. Not a fun thing to hear, right? But just like Adam was incomplete, just like Adam by himself was not good, we are incomplete. We are in need of a helper. Whether male or female, we are insufficient in and of ourselves. And we need someone outside of us to supply something we cannot supply by ourselves. And in that, we are reminded of the gospel. Like Adam, we are lacking and need a helper. We cannot save ourselves. And in the gospel, we're promised help. We're promised salvation. We're promised not just the lowercase h help or helper, but the helper, God himself, doing what we cannot do. All of this coming through trust in Jesus. We could not have our sins forgiven. We needed a helper. We could not reconcile ourselves back to God. We needed a helper. We could not stop making ourselves the, the, the center of our universe and be consumed with selfishness and pride. We needed a helper. We could not keep from aging and eventually dying. We needed a helper. We could not defeat our enemies of Satan and sin. We needed a helper. And through the gospel, help has come. It has come through our God. As we close today, 
I want to remind us of Colossians 1, which again, speaking of Jesus being there at creation, being a part of what was going on in the creation of, of male and female. We get this New Testament description, summary of, of, of what was going on in creation. We read, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. So our humanity, our gender, those things are about more than just ourselves. They're about God. They were designed and made not just for us, but for him. We were created by God, and we will, we will receive the most joy, the most fulfillment, the most freedom when we're living in the way that he designed for us, as well as in worship and obedience towards him. Our lives and our gender, we're created for God in order to share a story that is something that is way bigger than just ourselves. It can tell the story of a God who loves us. It can tell the story of a God who died for us, a God who used his strength and his difference in order to save us. Our lives and our genders can tell the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that helps bring some clarity, enough clarity, to such a confusing topic, something that's hard to understand, something that's hard to accept. But God, we thank you that you're good, that you did not just leave us to our, our, our own selves, that you didn't just uh, let creation accidentally happen, but in your love for us, in your wisdom and power, you created intentionally gender for our benefit, for our, our flourishing, for our joy. So God, help us as a church who... Uh, who you want to hear and to understand this. Help change our hearts. Help change our uh, misunderstandings about this. Give us unity as a church, God, we pray. We would see gender as, as a beautiful thing, as a powerful, created gift that you give us. And, and even in our disagreements, even in our uh, seeing things differently around this topic, God, give us unity as a church. Thank you for your word and, and for your great love for us that we see through the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.